Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Alcina Lloyd, and this is The Daily Download. Today, Housingware's HW Plus managing editor, Brennan Nath, discusses former CFPB director Richard Cordray's take on whether or not the U.S. housing industry views foreclosures as a last resort. I'll also cover Labor Department data that indicates another 2.1 million Americans filed for unemployment last week, Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey that shows mortgage rates fell to another all-time low, and fintech news from SmartRent and Amazon. But before you listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. CoreLogic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines, CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit corelogic.com forward slash COVID-19. Thanks for listening, and here's Brennan Nath on former CFPB director Richard Cordray's take on whether or not the U.S. housing industry views foreclosures as a last resort. To wrap up the daily download this week, we're continuing to follow the blog series from Richard Cordray that challenges the industry on how it should think about foreclosures. To recap, Cordray served for six years as the first director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau after being appointed by former President Barack Obama. In his first blog, he explains how the traditional approach to housing and mortgage financing became distorted during the financial crisis. Now, this new piece explains how economic markets differ in the mechanisms that restore them to equilibrium after any notable disturbance. In the pure models of academic economists, prices immediately, or at least quickly, adjust to achieve balance among buyers and sellers. The mathematics take their own course and equilibrium is restored as the natural and seemingly inevitable state of the market. As the recession showed, however, that does not happen in any serious dislocation of the housing market. When a borrower falls behind on the mortgage, there is one ultimate method for collecting on the unpaid debt, foreclosure. In this market, equilibrium is not produced by simply adjusting prices among buyers and sellers, which is a purely economic process. Instead, it is produced by a non-economic process involving courts, judges, laws, rules, attorneys, evidence, proof, and even appeals. All these processes are reasonably complex, and they take time to sort out. When the housing and mortgage markets collapsed on a greater scale a decade ago, the foreclosure process did not work at all as it was intended. Any concentration of foreclosures also produces another externality by driving down property values in surrounding areas. A half dozen foreclosures can drag down the whole neighborhood, even for those current on their mortgages with sensible terms, damaging their finances as well. This creates a spiral of instability with underwater mortgages impending the sales of homes and refinancing of loans, causing even more economic hardships. Short sales became an improvised means to make the best of some bad situations, but many communities languished in these ways during the Great Recession. And one lesson that we did learn from the last crisis is that in hard times, it is especially important to view foreclosure as a last result. As the ultimate collection tool, it is easily blunted. If properties get tangled for years in prolonged legal disputes, the drawbacks of foreclosure proceedings become magnified, which greatly hinders recovery of the underlying value of the collateral. 
and economic recovery overall. Once again, this is only the second part of a three-part series from Richard Cordray, and he'll also be joining us next week for an interview on these pieces, getting his in-depth thoughts on what this means and what people's takeaways should be in the industry. And for the rest of today's podcast, here's Lucinda Lloyd. Thank you for listening, and I'll wrap with today's top stories, beginning with an article from Kathleen Halley. According to Halley, data from the U.S. Labor Department shows another 2.1 million Americans filed for unemployment last week. This brings the total jobless claims of jobs lost during the COVID-19 pandemic to 40 million, representing about one out of every four workers. Despite this news, there is a glimmer of hope as the number of people receiving jobless benefits dropped by about 3.8 million to 21.1 million as some people were rehired, according to the Labor Department. In reference to the data, Goldman Sachs economists said continuing claims are particularly noisy these days due to processing lags and other issues. But given the magnitude of the decline, this could indicate a meaningful amount of jobs are rehiring. Our next story also comes from Kathleen Halley and covers Freddie Mac's weekly primary mortgage market survey. According to the survey, U.S. mortgage rates hit another all-time low this week, coming in at 3.15%. The rate fell from 3.24% last week, setting a new record low for the third time in three months. In a statement... Chris Lowe, chief economist of FHN Financial in New York, said the Federal Reserve is by far the biggest player in the mortgage markets right now as they are the biggest buyer of mortgages. And because of that, they have almost complete control over the interest rate. According to him, that means the central bank has the ability to stimulate home sales by driving rates to lows that most people wouldn't have thought possible a few years ago. Lowe says while every economist had doubts about how housing would fare during COVID-19, the market is behaving remarkably as home sales are holding up, which he attributes to low mortgage rates. Our last story comes from Ben Lane and covers fintech news from SmartRent and Amazon. According to Lane, Amazon is among many companies helping apartment platform SmartRent raise $60 million in its Series C's funding. Notably, this is Amazon's second investment in SmartRent through the Amazon Alexa Fund, which is an Amazon venture capital arm that invests in companies that use voice and other technology. On Wednesday, SmartRent announced its Series C funding round was led by Spark Capital with participation from Fifth Wall, Energy Impact Markets, the Amazon Alexa Fund, Bain Capital Ventures, and Rett Ventures. As for why these big names are investing in SmartRent, Lane says it could be because the company's offerings have taken on an even greater importance in a COVID-19 world. Thanks for listening to The Daily Download today, and we'll be back again Monday to share the top news stories of the day.